Hey goddess, welcome back to another episode of The Spiritual Gaze! I'm Brandon. And I'm Angel. And this is our twice-monthly podcast dedicated to exploring the wide reaches of spirituality without pretending that it all makes sense. And we've been doing it now for one full year. What? Yes, ladies and gentlemen, this is our solar return episode. Isn't that gorgeous? Which your solar return is your birthday. It's when your sun returns to the place it was at the moment of your birth. Yeah. And so we are here with the sun at the place it was when we first published our 101 podcast a year ago today. Could you ever have imagined? Uh, yes. Because <laughs> that's the only way we got here. That's very true. But also, no, it's it's shocking. I'm shook every time I look and realize that we have done 26 episodes. It's pretty unfathomable. Yeah, it kind of makes me lose my mind as well. But I'm so proud of us. And I am so proud of the community that's beginning to form around this podcast because mm-hmm. it's not about us. It's about all of us. It is the collective juices of everyone involved. Yes. What a gorgeous smoothie that would be. <laughs> Delicious. So what we're going to do is we actually went back and we selected our favorite clips from each one of our spirit talks. And if you haven't had a chance to listen to all of our spirit talks, then we're bringing you the best of the best. Yes, and we're going to pit them all against each other and pick a winner. (laughs) Can you imagine? (laughs) It's a motherfucking clip off. It's a motherfucking clip off. (laughs) No, we're just here to share, um, yeah, all the like little bits of wisdom that popped out for us over the course. And, you know, at the end of the day who doesn't love a clip show yes (laughs) well we hope you do yes exactly but it was really exciting for us i think to go back and listen to all of the amazing conversations that we had with people over the past year yeah it made me so nostalgic for something that wasn't that long ago i know right (laughs) i was like oh that was such a sweet afternoon we had with jeff or oh that was such a fun rainy morning with tracy mcmillan totally or oh my god russell brown was so caffeinated that day (laughs) he was extremely (laughs) so much coffee uh but he fucking turned it out oh my god yes uh but yeah really excited to revisit them all this episode but first who are you oh fuck who am i (laughs) if this is your first time listening to the spiritual gaze it's our one year anniversary episode thanks for joining us. it's a great time to join us it is uh all right so i am brandon alter i am a healer and a tarot reader and a tarot teacher and i'm also a writer and a performer and and your husband oh my god i did it It only took me a year the most important piece of your resume angel's husband (laughs) oh you're angel's husband uh and i'm angel lopez i am a writer i am a film producer and executive and i am an astrologer and i am brandon's husband and the third spiritual gay is noche oh who's down here giving himself a bath on the floor in between us he's a leo son with a Aries moon, Scorpio rising, and he is a healer, and he is a shade stress, and uh, he is he is a snack monster, a uh, treats yeah. villain, and an all around cutie. Yeah, I love him so much. <laughs> and a uh, cancer survivor. Yeah, he is a cancer yes, survivor, y'all. Everybody, he's a cancer survivor, thriving. Uh, I also want to mention that it is Pride season. So I feel like it also makes so much sense that we're celebrating our show's anniversary, uh, being gay and out here 
as a voice for the LGBTQ community. And we thought instead of doing a personal check-in, what we would do is actually take a look at the chart for the spiritual gaze. So we cast a chart for the spiritual gaze, and the time uh, that we used was the moment that we published the very first podcast. So we are looking at the chart for the spiritual gaze. And so the spiritual gaze are a Gemini sun, a Taurus moon, and we are a Libra rising. We're gorgeous. We're gorgeous. (laughs) (laughs) We're a chatty bunch. A lot of Venus. Yeah, a chatty beauty. Um, We've got uh, Jupiter in the first house in Scorpio, Mm -hmm. which means an abundance of depth and transformation. Yeah, and we just put it out there for the world to see. That's very true. It's in our first house. Mm -hmm. Um, We have Mars in Aquarius in the fourth house, which means we are most at home when we're taking action for the collective. Yeah, and we literally work from home. Oh, that's true. (laughs) For the people. We've got Neptune in Pisces, which just means we are spiritual AF, and that's part of our creativity. Yeah, it's in our fifth house, so we have fun through spirituality as well, which is true. And uh, our Chirons and Aries in the sixth house, which means that uh, we are healing how to be leaders and innovators every day. That's truth. Which is why we probably need to start committing to the podcast every day, doing something for it every day. Yep. Um, And maybe looking at our resistance to my resistance to doing something every day. We can cut this part. Okay, great. And then we have, uh, interestingly, our eighth, an eighth house sun. So it's Gemini, which is all chatty, but it's eighth house. Which is in the depths. Yeah. This kind of gives it a bit more of a... Packs a little punch. Yeah, a richer vibe. You think we're just flitting on the surface, but really our roots go all the way down to the core of the earth. But then funny that our Venus is in the 10th house, in the career house, which I feel like makes a lot of sense because our relationship is our career Mm. when it comes to the spiritual gaze. I guess that's true. Well, we better never get divorced. Don't you ever leave. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And we have a north node in Leo. So that means that... More photo shoots. I guess so. I'm ready for photo shoots, people. Spiritual gaze are trying to become more front and center people, as I guess, as opposed to like behind the scenes. Yeah, it's one of the new definitions of gay I found. One who is ready for a photo shoot. At any time. Whenever. (laughs) One who has a closet full of wigs ready at any moment. It's interesting, though, because, you know, when we did our chart, just as a couple, mm-hmm. we're in the 12th house. We're all in the 12th house. Oh, yeah. So our relationship itself is kind of in the house of, you know, mystery. Whereas this podcast, this offering, when we are wearing our spiritual gaze hat, is really about bringing that depth and that mystery out to Into be seen the light. and to yeah. be talked about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's what we've been doing with this work over the past year. It's been a great teacher for us, I think, in our relationship. For sure. (laughs) Because we've had to work together. And it's one thing to just like live together. But to work with your partner brings a whole nother layer of complexity, challenges, and solutions. Yeah. But I recently had a reading with one of my fave astrologers, Miss Anne Orterly. You should be listening to her podcast if you're not already. Shout out, Anne Orterly. But she said to me that Aquarius ruled my career because it does it rules my 10th house uh but she was like oh your partner is your work 
Uh, And, you know, she joked that, you know, I don't just mean that because partners are work, but he literally is your work. And that's true. So before we get into our favorite clips from the last year, we thought we would take a peek inside our medicine bag. So this is the segment where we just share whatever has been giving us the sweet, sweet healing and medicine that we need Mm -hmm. in our life right now. And I guess for me, the biggest thing in my medicine bag has just been crystals, maybe because it was Taurus season and, you know, it's an earth sign. But I have really been deepening my relationship and my practice with crystals. I've also been buying a few more as well. Uh, But I would just like to, you know, invite everybody that has an interest in crystals to just start to work with them. Crystals are intuitive. Nobody can tell you how to work with them. It's about opening yourself up to feeling things on a deeper, more subtle level. The fact is, we are not in this alone. You don't have to do anything by yourself. And if it's hard for you to respect that there are invisible allies helping you, then why don't you just work with one that you can see, which is a crystal, and just start to feel how this crystal, if you ask it to, can help you with whatever it is that you want to do. Um... Because crystals have really been helping me get through it this week, this month, this year, this lifetime. Beautiful. Get your crystals on, peeps. Get your crystals. I've got one in my hand right now. I've got five. <laughs> uh, the, the one thing that's uh, been poking its head out of my medicine bag is uh, a great book called It's Not Your Money, which is by Tosha Silver who is a fantastic astrologer based out of San Francisco. And she wrote a book. It's called It's Not Your Money because it's a book about abundance and prosperity. But the idea being, of course, that all money exists from spirit and not from just the financial sector. So once you can start looking at money and finances and more so in general prosperity and abundance from a place of spirit-based trust, the more you can learn to loosen any sort of grip that money may have on you in your life. So really it just comes down to the idea that you will be taken care of as long as you can trust and sort of keep your eyes open to where money wants to come for you. Now, of course, I know that can sound like a pretty like privileged mentality too but i just really recommend the book because it gives you a it it delves into that it delves into really strong meditations that you can do for yourself around uh your ideas of money and ultimately what it uh, becomes about is how we are talking to ourselves about money specifically from a space of lack that even when we say to ourselves, well, I can't afford that, we are building a distanced relationship with money and its ease to flow into our lives. So, uh, you know, money doesn't really belong to anybody. It comes and goes. Love it. Yeah. So check it out, everybody. I recommend. All right, everybody. So in honor of the spiritual gaze, one year solar return, here is a collection of our favorite moments from all of our spirit talks, which put together create this episode's Spirit Talk. So we're going to kick off with 
what was our very first spirit talk almost a year ago when we welcomed the remarkable Lori Liu into the spirit room. Uh, you may recall Lori, uh, we titled her episode The Career Whisperer, which is something that I have called her for a number of years since we both worked together and she would constantly be whispering my career into uh, shape. But in one particular point of our conversation, we talked about what people could be looking for uh, in regards to what they should be doing, what questions they should be asking themselves. So here is a little snippet from the career whisperer, Lori Liu. I think we are the last people to kind of realize some of our own gifts and maybe because it's just so close to us and so precious to us and maybe a little scary, but um, it, it is definitely something that I've started to own more and enjoy, you know, a lot more when I'm talking to someone to, to have that hit and be able to share it with them. But the truth is that I'm only always probably just picking up on what they're already feeling inside, you know, and reflecting back to them in some way. So to that, you know, we have the answers. Each one of us has the answers. And so it's a bit of just getting a little uncluttered to get to the heart of the matter. I think, again, journaling is excellent. And asking yourself questions like, what have I always wanted to do if I could do anything in the world that didn't, you know, money, uh, timing, age, nothing was a factor, experience, skills, what would it be? Who are the people that I admire in the world? Also, what do people always tell me? You know, we don't want to listen to it too closely, but people are often saying, especially, you know, the people closest to you, you're so good at such and such, you know, and there's often something to it. You know, Angel's been calling me a career whisperer. I've been telling Angel that he's psychic. I think mirror work is also really valuable because we don't really fully recognize that it's us in the mirror so when Mm. we start to have conversations just kind of stream of conscious like start with you are statements Mm -hmm. and see where that takes you just looking in the mirror just looking in the mirror at yourself we have 50 to seventy thousand thoughts a day and most of them are probably negative i mean inside we are saying some pretty mean things to ourselves so to be able to look at ourselves in the mirror and say Either you are, or I am, you know, beautiful, smart, talented, creative, a singer, a writer, a dancer, a, an artist, a, a storyteller. It, it's going to start feeling more comfortable right. in a relatively short period of time. And I think it would just be interesting to see if you forced yourself to kind of keep saying it until kind of like the bucket was empty. You'd probably be in tears, I imagine. Yeah. <laughs> uh. Our next spirit talk was with the gorgeous, fabulous, and amazingly intuitive Harriet and the Star. Oh, and in this clip, she expounds a little bit on her spiritual beginnings and also gives us a revelatory definition of what magic is. I remember going out and practicing with the wind when I was like really little and summoning like the wind. Oh, wow. And there would be like breezes like cascading and like through like lifting my hair. And like, I mean, it was just like these wafts. And my grandmother passed away when I was um, like seven. Mm. And she came to me as a raven. And like, I had this whole experience with her and my grandfather, too, who's also deceased. So, uh, yeah. And I actually gave like my first readings um, in the summertime. Like, my 
when my dad, like most kids had a um, lemonade stand mm-hmm. and I had a, like a swami stand, I called it. And I don't know if that's racist, but it was called, a, I called it a swami stand. You're forgiven. I'm good. And I had a turban on my head. You're a child. And <laughs> I was. And I'd give like 25 cent readings. Oh my, oh my God. God. Yeah. That's amazing. What a bargain. I know, right? And well, now they're free. Exactly. No, they are not free. Uh, just kidding. Yeah. Uh, only on a good day. Well, yeah, exactly. Mm. And how would you, I know this is such a hard question, but how would you start to define magic? Mm. Oh my God. Magic is finding yourself at the center of two extremes. Mm. It is learning how to allow yourself to dissolve so that your soul can expand in all directions and you can manipulate outcomes at will. Oh, I still remember that moment uh, with Harriet and I legit got chills when that happened. I know the spirit room felt so thick and soupy with all of her magic. Yeah. Yeah. If you have not gone back and listened to the goddess magician or heard that, uh, it's definitely a fun, fun revisit or first time visit. Our next conversation was with the, one and only Lena Waithe. Uh, <laughs> she is uh, an actress, writer, producer, just talent extraordinaire. LGBTQA icon. Pretty much, yes. Fashion maven. I mean, she's everything. Hamburger lover. <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, but... Yeah, so we sat down with Lena, and it was a phenomenal conversation. Uh, you know, we've been friends with Lena for a while, and uh, we really just had a good time and got to draw her out on all things spirituality, creativity, relationship. Uh, but my favorite moment from that conversation uh, was when we talked about the story that we tell ourselves in our head, the story we tell ourselves about our life and just the real intense importance of being aware of that so it seems like a theme for gemini season yeah it is so here it is check it out i like to create a positive narrative for myself you know i'm always thinking like i want to change things like i want things to be different after i've after i'm gone that's the that's the narrative. I want to be the person that Alana believes that I am. Like mm. that's the narrative. That's what I want my narrative to be. And it's not always an easy one to live up to or to keep, but I feel like if that's my narrative, then I'm going to I'm going to try to live up to that. And I think some people have a narrative of, "Oh, I'm never going to do that." Or mm-hmm. I don't know if I can start this career now. Or Oh, 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 oh. Well, we'll see. We'll see if someone else out there knows what I'm talking about. Been there, done that. Okay, got it. No. You know, <laughs> or or the narrative is like, well, my family won't like this. Um, or, you know, my narrative is like, I, you know, I'm always going to be single. Like, whatever it is, you know, and I think I'm just trying to tell people to 
let go of that because it's really just the story you're telling yourself. And when you change your story, then your experience will shift and it'll change. It'll, mm-hmm. it'll, it'll change. And I know that's actually a hard thing to do because for some people, your narrative is in your DNA. Yeah. You know, because you're, you're, you're adopting your parents' narrative and they have their parents' narrative. And so at some point you have to change yours, you know, like Oprah Winfrey changed her narrative. You mm-hmm. know, her narrative was already written. You know, it's like someone can say, this is where you're going to go. This is where you will wind up. And she's like, nope, mm-mm, I'm going to write a different story. And and I think Maya Angelou's narrative, you know, changed. Like yeah. James Baldwin's narrative changed. You know, it's like it's like you have the power to change your narrative. And even if you, no matter what scenario you're in at this very moment, you could be living in your car. You know what I'm saying? You could be working at T-Mobile. You could be, you know, watching your, your, your friend's kids, you know, mm-hmm. to make extra cash. But if you really want to change your narrative and say, oh, I want something new. I want to turn the page on this chapter then then it'll be done. And I also believe what you tell the universe you you want and what you're going to do, it will challenge you, you know, it'll test you. But if you really are clear in your intention and in your desire and in your want, then at some point it will bend to your desire. Yeah. Mm. So you got to tell it. You got to you got to when you walk out to the world, whisper to the wind the things that you want and 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 talk about the person that you ultimately want to become and who you want to be. And then you don't have a choice because you're making a promise to yourself. And if you break promises to yourself, then there's really there's really not much anyone else can do. Yeah, that's like the ultimate betrayal, right? Absolutely. To you. That's what people are afraid of speaking what they want. Because when you say it out loud, then it becomes real. Mm-hmm. So... I always say, don't be afraid to open your mouth and say, I want this, or I will do this. She's so brilliant. Okay, I hope y'all are starting to think about what narrative you're living, and if it's time to write a new one for yourself. I am again right now with my life. Okay, (laughs) Queen. I'm rereading my book. So no less brilliant, our fabulous friend, Justin Simeon, who came and shared so much deep, heartfelt wisdom. Mm Mm-hmm. In her Taurus way. Oh, in her beautiful Taurus way. And she really talked about how she had to get out from the narrative of nine to five. Mm -hmm. And that the call was coming from inside the house. (laughs) Totally. So here's Justin dropping that wisdom on all of us. The mistake that I made uh, with my depression, and, and I think with or without depression, anyone who leaves a nine to five, is that, you know, I was under the assumption that well, the job was causing all of my misery. And so (laughs) as soon as the job was gone and I was living my dream, I would be happy. Mm -hmm. And lo and behold, (laughs) you know, it's really odd. You Coming up in a nine to five kind of world, I was reared that way. My mother always warned me to get a stable job and to get my savings together and do what I love at retirement. You know, that's how I was raised. And so... um, isn't that just like, doesn't that boggle the mind, that concept yeah. that you like spend your whole life putting aside your passion and then at retirement? Yes. Like in the last act of your life. Well, it comes from a different time, you know? I mean, it's sort of, we, we're lucky that we get to grow up in a life, in an age where we get to ask questions like, what do I want to do and who am I? Because, yeah. you know, before, really before my generation, in my family line anyway, nobody really had the ability to ask that question. <laughs> like, yeah. the questions were like, am I going to eat? And like, fight for survival. Yeah, and am I going to live in the South without like being lynched or something, yeah. you know? And like, those were the questions. So... 
you, you know, my mom was was preparing me as best she could. But what I realized when I stepped out of the nine to five is that um, there were a lot of things within me that were still operating on nine to five. And, and those and that part of me didn't know what to do. And it was actually very debilitating mm. because there's no there's no alarm clock anymore and there's no reason to show up someplace anymore and there's no deadlines and there's no due dates and there's no um, external like, you know, pain if you don't get something done. Mm-hmm. And so that requires all of those gaps that used to be other people telling me what to do all day. I had to figure out how to tell myself what to do. And that was actually almost it felt impossible at the beginning right to organize my life appropriately and and I felt so guilty and so lazy because I was sleeping and I was walking around and I was goofing off because I was like I don't know what to do with myself and I real and I was still quite depressed and I realized eventually but not not at the time but I realized looking back at it that what they say is true it really it's not the thing on the outside it wasn't the job making me unhappy and it wasn't being stuck in a nine to five that was keeping me from my dream. My mind was stuck in a nine to five. Like my spirit was there. My spirit was depressed. So yeah, I attracted a scenario that reflected that. Mm -hmm. And, And I saw that so clearly after I left, like what of the job and what of that experience that I escaped finally more of it had to do with me than I ever realized mm. while I was in it. Um, and I had to confront all of those things. I mean, so powerful and so challenging to do for yourself, right? I mean, look, what we resist persists. Yeah. So it's really profound for him to share that he experienced that situation, that he would have kept attracting the same sort of situations until he had the courage to confront himself on that deeper level. Yeah, so important for all of us to be paying attention to where we may be doing that in our lives as well um, and how to sort of break our own personal cycles, which leads us into uh, our next conversation that we had with James R. Eads. Mm. And we actually got into, we took it all the way back. To past lives. Yeah, I got into this whole conversation about past lives, which I love talking about and find super fascinating. And he talked a lot about how he just got into this whole experimentation with past life regressions inspired by uh, Brian Weiss's book, Many Lives, Many Masters, which is a book that both Brian and I have read as well. So we were all able to really bring our own experience uh, with past life and sort of delving into our past lives uh, into the conversation and found it really fascinating. And uh, this was one of our favorite moments from it. Yeah, so when I first started doing it, it was like 2015, I think. and I was traveling. I went to like Iceland and Paris and London, I think. And like in between like places or at airports and parks, I would just like kind of do these past life regressions. I probably did like 15 when I was like on that two or three week trip. Wow. Um, yeah, that and I would just like write a lot. I would write about them and kind of just like keep a journal or a digital note. Um, and yeah, they just like fueled a lot of my art. And I think that like before, before I like got into past lives, I didn't really have like a strong belief in like what happens after you die you know I just kind of you know people are screaming like heaven hell like nothing and like none of those options seem that great to me like I don't really (laughs) understand what heaven is yeah don't really want to understand what hell is for sure and nothing's pretty bleak it doesn't seem so it doesn't make as much sense to me yeah you know like you just live one life and then you're done because like 
the idea i think the core belief of past lives is that like you're living all these lives you can kind of like gain clarity and like understanding of like what it means to be alive because Mm -hmm. you can't possibly experience the whole spectrum as like a white man yeah you know (laughs) like (laughs) right just you can't or like a straight man or a gay man some would think the opposite (laughs) some would think the opposite yeah (laughs) they don't need to be named um but I think that idea kind of grounded me in in believing in it and that like I have I've lived like a very like lucky and like fortunate life where I can be an artist but like that's not giving me understanding on other aspects of the world that I'm not experiencing Mm. and so I think that we live again and again to kind of like chisel away at this like block to create like this diamond basically of Mm. a soul and then like once you have reached that potential understanding enlightenment you kind of like move on or whatever i think that in the book the way that he kind of describes it is like the physical plane is like kind of like our intermediate plane and whereas Mm -hmm. like the spiritual plane is like the actual home yeah which is an interesting thing to think about yeah that there is some (laughs) other (laughs) realm i'll just like playing around down here Yeah. yeah um and it also like brings a lot of clarity in the whole like connections with people and like thinking that like you know somebody even though you've never met them before mm-hmm. for sure or like having like traits or skills that like you can't really explain why you're really good at it but you yeah. are or prodigies who are children who can like play the piano or like write or cook or whatever you know like yeah. there's a lot of skills that like kids have when they're like four or five that like don't make sense because they're too young to like be that good at something so there's or a lot also, of like explanations that I think past lives kind of clarify for me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, not just the good, but the bad too. Like why mm-hmm. some people have blocks or issues sure. that don't seem to have initiated in this life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. From one queer mystic to another, after our beautiful spirit talk with James, we had Jeff Henshaw, the host of Cosmic Cousins in the Spirit Room, and he blew our minds talking all sorts of upgrading astrological archetypes. But the piece that we wanted to share was actually when I asked him about the cards for the year, because if you remember, 2019 is all about the Empress and the Hanged Man. And we're only halfway through, y'all, so I thought we would share the beautiful wisdom Jeff had around what these cards are and how they can help empower us to live our best life in 2019. Such a beautiful combination, really. And I actually, I connect the Empress and the Hangman together often anyway, and that's how they became the cards of the year because one plus two is three. Mm -hmm. So I will often look at the cards grouped in that sort of way and try to make sense of them in relationship to their numerology. Sure. The Hangman, right, is this moment in time in a philosophical perspective, not necessarily like when you receive it in a reading, is it always going to mean this? But the hangman is really um, deeply accepting the here and the now. Mm. And so you can think of the hangman as like we come out of our mothers upside down in the same way the hangman does. And so the the rope that's tying him uh, is also it's sort of like the umbilical cord. So there is this connection to like being birthed out of the mother empress that's like happening here. Mm. So in one way, I could say that this could be a year that people are giving birth to a book or to a new home or a new relationship. Um, that could be one, but like, um, and you know, birth also has with it a lot of contractions and like moments in time where we feel uncomfortable and that we're needing to just breathe. 
So the combo together, it feels really beautiful and an opportunity for us to really enjoy the sacred sweetness of the here and now, of the natures, you know? Um, And that could be really, really uncomfortable and unsettling for some people, especially the ones that are on the go often. Yeah. So for me, it's like, okay, I'm in Los Angeles. It's a hangman empress year. I'm hanging out and I'm going to enjoy it and I'm going to breathe into it. And the moments in time where I feel uncomfortable and like maybe that maybe this isn't like my home forever, but it is this year because the Empress is opening up the gates to her garden and is saying, here's some string. I want you to hang yourself up on this tree (laughs) and I want you to then come into this place of deep surrender and stillness. And so it's like, what better place to be the hangman than in the empress's garden. Mm, So it's a year of like new perspectives when we surrender to it because then we're upside down. And it's a year that our chakra centers are in alignment with the way that the rainbow is in the sky, right? Because when we're upside down, red, the root is at the top, which whenever we see a rainbow, red's going to be on the top. So it's like through that, there's going to be opportunity to really like feel into the promise that it will get better for you. And I think that this collectively and just like astrologically with all the placements that we have and coming off of 2018, it's, it's going to feel like a pretty uncomfortable year for a lot of people, but also like when we like can really get in there and commit to ourselves and to just being present with our bodies and our breaths that, um, there'll be a lot of new opportunities for connecting with this world that we're in. Oh, girl, I found that string and I am hanging upside down in the Empress's (laughs) garden. Let me tell you. Also, same. (laughs) Uh, I mean, yeah, really great to hear that halfway through the year. Because it's so uh, prophetic, right? There's been so much surrender. uh, But it's been a beautiful place in which to surrender. But that brings us then to our next conversation speaking of beautiful empresses empresses uh we then got to sit down with the remarkable tracy mcmillan writer relationship expert i mean just goddess extraordinaire goddess extraordinaire uh and a virgo and we talked a bit about her relationship uh, to being a Virgo, but then particularly got into talking about what it means to be a healer for her. I do not have that relationship to people's gratitude or feedback. Mm. My relationship to it is has is like, it has nothing to do with me. Mm. Not like in a denunciation of it, but yeah. just in a way of like, I honestly feel like that's all you, girl. That's your healing. You You're doing it. I'm just here doing my healing, I turn the camera on, I share my experiences, but I'm not personally responsible for this. Mm. Like, don't get it mixed up. It's not me. It's not, there's not a Tracy person that's doing it, that's taking credit for it. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. Uh, Yeah. This goes back to one of my favorite Tracy McMillan quotes (laughs) of all time. Okay. Where you talked about stepping into a hologram of yourself. Mm. Do you remember when you said no. that? Okay, well, again. <laughs> he uses it all the time. I use it really? all yeah. the time. Okay, tell me what so I said. So you were talking about that Oprah Super Soul experience okay. and how it was one of those moments where you like stepped into a hologram of right. yourself. It was bigger than you and yes. you grew in yeah. that moment to embody what needed to be That's embodied right. for that moment That's for the right. collective. Yes, 
And but it's not like but all the time. But, but like, it's not you. It's not me. No. Right. Like people, like they get mixed up. They're like, no, girl, that's not you. Right. But it also is. It's like it's the archetype of Tracy McMillan. It's yeah. like coming through me. Yeah. I'm here for it. But the minute you, if I really started to believe that was me, oh, yeah. I would be blocking. It wouldn't come through me anymore. Totally. Well, yeah, that's when you get dysfunctional gurus. And, and how many of situation. those people are there out there? So, so much. So many. I know. Like part of me has wanted to stay small just so that doesn't happen. Mm. Right. But I feel like that's the fine, the you know, the fine edge of the sword. Exactly. I had, <laughs> I had a really powerful experience around that about two years ago. So when I started doing videos on Facebook was because I was at this big dinner with a bunch of people. I was in New York and... um. Long story short, one of the people at the table had an assistant who was from Tennessee or like somewhere outside the media world. And I don't know why that's significant, but perhaps it is. And anyway, I said, you know what? I just don't want to put make it about me or put a lot of attention on myself or it's just like I don't want to do that. And she's like, excuse me, but... Like, with all due respect, like, I don't really think it's about you. I think if you have a gift, you kind of just need to give it. Mm -hmm. And I was like, she was like 24 years old. And I went, she's right. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. You just called me up. Not called me out. She called me up. Mm. And that's when I started making videos. Love it. And I was like, all right. You know, other times when I'm joking, I'm be like, God gave me this hair. Okay. It's like God gave me TV hair. <laughs> totally. Because yeah. I spent so many years. I have a broadcast journalism degree. I was like, I am not being on camera. I don't want to be on camera. I want to dance on tabletops. I want to be wild. I don't want to be like all straight and whatever. Yeah. So I never pursued on camera, but it didn't matter. Like the universe was like, look, we gave you the TV hair. Okay. You're, <laughs> totally. You best use it. You know what I mean? I was like, okay. So yeah. that's what I'm going to do. And that was like in my late 40s, you know? So it's kind of like, if it's for you, you can't stop it. Yeah, right. totally. And she really does have like the best hair in the business. If you've never seen a picture of Tracy McMillan and her gorgeous Leo hair, do yourself a favor. Yeah. And if you haven't had a chance to listen to the love language of Tracy McMillan, uh, it really was a fantastic conversation. Absolutely. Uh, another fantastic conversation was with Russell Brown, Angel's acupuncturist. Shout out to Russell Brown. And he dropped a hell of a lot of knowledge on all of us. It was really difficult to pick one clip, but the one we picked was really about his talking about how he manages all of the energies that are part of having a practice of healing. And so we wanted to remind you all of what the trees can do for you in the same way that Russell reminded us. It's a lot of people and it's a lot of stuff and it's not my stuff, you know, and so I do. And um, I walk to work now because I moved my office and now I walk to work. But back when I drove, I used to just go in the car and cry and that would be a good way for me to do it. And it wasn't sad. It was great. It would be like there was the only way I could release it. I'd come home. If I didn't cry, I would come home and my boyfriend would be like, you have to cry because you're holding on to too much. You could tell like I just couldn't get comfortable. And one of the things that I learned from another practitioner was this is going to say make me sound like a real hippie, but I go on the way home. I touch every tree. Mm. 
because I heard the trees don't mind. And so uh, you can kind of like <laughs> let it go. So I sound like I look like a crazy person when I walk home because I'm literally like giving like a real got to touch every tree thing. And if it's been a real doozy of a day, I'll do two hands on every tree, which yes. is how you know I'm a lunatic. But that's one of the ways I do it. And it doesn't always work, by the way. I still come home and I'm like, that was a hard day. And mm-hmm. and I have hard days, you know, it's a job. It's not Well, I like... just want to tell our listeners that uh, Russell is holding a crystal <laughs> yeah. that we gave before we recorded this. And that is a tree. That's petrified wood. Totally. So that's an interesting. It's the way the trees don't mind. They don't because they know how to purify energy. They do it on their own and they don't need they you you know, they got that bark, you know, their bark is thicker than mine. And so I believe it. And they also don't know Angel or how crazy he is. So when I give them over Angel (laughs) stuff, they're like another human, another crazy. I've never made you cry. (laughs) You don't know. Have I made you cry? (laughs) If you like give your energy to the ocean or you give it to the dirt, it's like the earth knows how to purify energy. It's neither Mm -hmm. good nor bad. It's just energy. Yeah. And that's how I was taught. So it's like you do it that. So I do two hands on trees Give it, and and I think just the ritual of saying like I need to let you go, like I can't be taking this home with me, mm-hmm. um, I can't. That's great. And it would it it upsets me too much, you know. Like when I'm holding on to that stuff, I'm agitated. I can't sleep, and it's not it's not great for me. And it's outside of my pay grade. Is I feel like to like have sleepless nights is I do not I'm not paid well enough yeah. for that. Yes, right. Yes, as are we all, by the way. No <laughs> one deserves insomnia unless they're paying you so much money. It's crazy. Ugh, yeah. True that. Yeah. Have you hugged a tree today, Angel? I have not yet today. Well, then what are you doing? We're pausing. Get out there and hug a damn tree. <laughs> Sorry, we're going to pause real fast. Oh, I feel so much better. Okay, that was radio magic. Nobody left the spirit room. Yeah, he I did didn't. not go hug a tree. But just to hold that petrified wood. Yeah, I want to hold this petrified wood while I stare at a flower. It's as close as I can get right now. <laughs> uh, but anyhow, love me some Russell Brown. We definitely got a lot of amazing feedback from that conversation. So uh, if you haven't checked it out give it a listen. Another great conversation that we got to have was with my soul sister, uh, Shireen Marisol Maraji, who is an NPR correspondent and reporter and host of the NPR podcast Code Switch. Uh, and she taught Brandon all about code switching. Uh, but that was not the the piece that we brought up for y'all here. One of my favorite stories ever was the story that she offered us about Uh, her relationship to Catholicism, and particularly when she was baptized? Well, I think that I've always been a seeker. And I think so much of that is because I haven't felt like I belonged. So my my dad is Muslim. My Mm -hmm. mom is Catholic. My dad's Iranian. My mom is Puerto Rican. I talk a lot about this on the Code Switch podcast. And I went to Catholic school. But oh, you did! I, didn't I know that. did go to Catholic school oh, for most of my um, education before college, and my parents couldn't figure out what to do with the religion thing. So, I mean, religion and spirituality—they can be the same, they can be different. But yes. this is kind of the where the origins of my spirituality started. So, my mom was like, "Oh, you know, I guess should we baptize her?" Because remember, back in the day, if you weren't baptized and you died when you were a baby, you would go to limbo. Yep. Right. Yep. So they got rid of that. The Catholic Church got rid of this. But my mom was like, "Oh, I don't want my kid to go to limbo, but I don't know about this baptism thing." And I think she was really kind of wondering if Catholicism was the right path for her, even though she was raised in Catholicism. And so I was baptized at seven. Oh, wow. I was baptized at seven years old. It was such, I remember it being such a, 
embarrassing and very strange experience. It was all newborn babies and me, a seven-year-old, wow. being baptized. And did you understand? I had no idea what that beep was going on right i remember i was wearing a very frilly white dress <laughs> and it was and it was at oh saint lawrence catholic church in sacramento uh -huh. and so anyway so I, I had that experience but then i never had my first communion i never did confirmation all really? of these things yes all go, but you were still in catholic but school? i was in catholic school which meant that when you went to you know, mass or liturgy, everybody else is going up and getting their communion mm -hmm. from the priest. And I'm sitting in the pew by myself. And did you have shame around that Oh at my all? gosh, so much shame. Mm -hmm. So much shame. And I was always like, what if I just walked up there and got my communion? You know, what would I do? And so in high school, I just was like, you know what? I'm just going to get my communion. <laughs> that was I the Aquarius writing. <laughs> yes. So I remember freaking out and walking up there. And I was like, do you have to have, is it the left hand over the right hand? Is the right hand over the left hand? I, I couldn't figure it out. And I was like, they're going to know. I've never had communion before. <laughs> this is all this stuff running through my crazy mind. Yes, no, it makes sense though. And so I go up there and I get the thing and I do what everyone does. I eat the wafer mm -hmm. and I sit down and I'm feeling so much guilt about this that I have to confess this to Father Barry, who was the father at the time. I, I'm so sorry, Father. I have never done communion before. I never had my first Holy Communion, but I just didn't want to sit down while everyone else was getting their <laughs> communion. So I just decided to have my communion. And he was like, oh, that's not a big deal, you know? And it's like this whole time it had been eating away mm. at me. And it's just an example of how I've kind of always felt like not quite a part of the thing, you know, it, it's because my dad and my mom are different and I'm mixed and also because they couldn't figure out, am I going to be Catholic? Am I not? I've always been sort of on the periphery, um, watching from the periphery. And so I've always been curious, um, but I haven't ever kind of had something that I felt like was my own brand of spirituality, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. That was a really long story. Sorry. No, it was a great, <laughs> great story. story. I mean, I live for that story and I will legit steal it from her someday. And interesting how it did have such a personal connection to me because then our uh, latest spirit talk was with our mothers and our all about our moms. Just when you thought the spiritual gays couldn't get any gayer. Exactly. Uh, and my mom talked about her relationship with Catholicism and the topic of baptisms also came up there and was so much tied to my own personal spiritual beginnings. What happened with me in the church was when Angel was born, I wanted to have him baptized. So I went to our church that we were a part of. The priest said to me, well, are you, where's your, I need your marriage certificate. And I said, well, my husband and I are not married by the church. And, you know, I was married before. I'm not, I'm divorced, but I know what that means in the church. He had the nerve to say to me that I cannot baptize your son because he's a bastard. Right. Yeah. Who is a priest, or anyone in any religion to say who you are and, and what you have to do. To me, 
If God created us, he created you. He created you. God don't make no mistakes. Mistakes, Okay. (laughs) I don't think that the church has any right to discriminate. I love my son. I love Brandon. And I believe that you were both created to be together. That clip is iconic. I mean, I loved hearing my mom talk about her relationship with her religion. For me, I felt like how powerful it was to hear this Catholic woman uh, who still does connect with that religion challenge it in such a profound and Aquarian way. Love you, mom. And then we talked with your mama too. Yeah. And so this final clip uh, is my mom talking about the lessons that cancer brought her. You know, I would pray with each surgery, you know, okay, are the angels going to come to me? Tell me my life path so now I can get on with my purpose. You know, because like the stories of like all these people that their lives, you know, were kind of floundering and then they had these near death experiences and poof, (laughs) they knew what to do with their life. (laughs) Yeah. 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 It doesn't always work that way. (laughs) You know, and so through the last four years, it's like, oh, this is going to be amazing. There's going to be some point where I'm going to have clarity. Well, it hasn't happened that way. And (laughs) (laughs) what I what I've realized is. I'm probably more the norm in that it's a process. And as we move through the good times and the bad times in life, it helps us to reach clarity on what our purpose is in this world. Mm. And I think ever since I was little, I've always felt this, why am I here? What am I supposed to do? And it's so funny because Brandon, you're the same. I mean, I remember, you know, Mm. at 17, And you had had so many accomplishments in drama and writing and you're in tears and you're like, I just wish I knew what I was supposed to do with my life. I haven't done anything. Capricorn moon. (laughs) And I'm like, babe, you're only 17. Take a deep breath. You've done more in 17 years. Um, I thought you were going to say you're only 12. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he was doing, he was doing that then too. (laughs) Um, But I think for me, the most important lesson that I pass on to people that have cancer or or are diagnosed is to have faith and realize that yes, it isn't what you planned, but for whatever reason, There's a tremendous gift and healing in it. And honestly, for me, the last four years, as horrible and as hard as they've been, physically, mentally, emotionally, I can honestly say I'm happier than I've ever been. Um, Cancer gave me the courage to set boundary in my life that I otherwise wasn't able to do. When I was diagnosed with cancer, I really, I didn't feel sorry for myself. I didn't feel like it was a punishment from God, which is how my sister felt and how a lot of people feel. But rather I felt like, okay, there's an accountability on my part. And how did I draw this into my life? What does it have to teach me? And how can I then release it? For me, it was really important from day one. I loved my cancer because my cancer was a part of me. And so I felt like in order to understand it, 
and release it that I needed to love it. And I also looked at it as a master teacher for me. The greatest thing that I can pass on to to anyone that's diagnosed with cancer is just don't believe what the doctors tell you. Have faith. Go with your gut instinct and use whatever resources you can to help you connect with why it's in your life and what gifts it has to offer you. I mean, the vulnerability that your mom brought to sharing her cancer journey, I mean, her whole story, but I think your mom also has a future in podcast hosting. Or public speaking, for sure. (laughs) Yeah. She did such a beautiful job. It was really great to sit with both of them. So those were our spirit talks for the first year of The Spiritual Gaze. And you can now go to our website and cast your vote. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, if there were just any great insights that you gathered from those specifically, we'd love to hear if any of them really touched you in a profound way. And so now we are going to close out the way we always do by pulling a card. Uh, Mm -hmm. that will resonate in this future place and time to which you're listening to this solar return anniversary. So here we go, tuning in, connecting to the sound of the cards. And if you can't close your eyes and tune in, consider that I'm doing it for you. So the card I pulled... From the Voyager Tarot, which is the deck I'm using for Gemini season, is called the Man of Crystals. And so let me translate. In this deck, the men, the man, is the knight, and crystals are swords. So this is the realm of the mind. Mm. And in the way that I work with the cards, this is the card that is the air shrine card, meaning it's double air, swords being the element of air. And knights being the element of air, because what knights do, their function in the tarot is to move things along. So this is really moving that mental energy along. And I'm just kind of getting chills around all the resonance, because this is really the card that clears out those old stories, those old narratives that no longer serve us, like Lena was talking about. And of course, we would pull the double air card in Gemini season, because it is so psychological. We are supposed to be in our minds and kind of rooting through the closet of our mind to go, okay, is this still serving me or is this outdated? And I always think of the Knight of Swords like a great whirlwind that comes in and clears your mind, sweeps it free of the old detritus and the dust and the things that really don't belong to you anymore. And it's not an easy card because it requires you to be somewhat ferocious in how you engage and encounter your mind and then also assert your dominance over it. You don't have to agree or believe everything you think. And you have to remember that your head serves your heart, not the other way around. The heart is the queen. And the head is just there to get things moving. Preach. I hope that this year of spiritual gaze has helped you start to kind of clear out your mental closet of some old stories or some old gowns that no longer need to be worn. (laughs) Yeah. Give those to goodwill so some other queen can put it on. Yeah. Dress for success. Yes. They'll always take some gowns. Uh, But thank you all so much for uh, all the love and support this past year. Uh, It truly means the world to us. We, again, Brandon always says we're so grateful for this community. 
that has come together around this podcast and will hopefully continue to grow and expand and evolve. And hopefully in year two of the spiritual gaze, we'll have some sort of retreat or some sort of event where we can feel and experience and encounter this community in person, IRL, in real life. Yeah. We want to be able to meet some of you all and engage in person. And that will be really fun for us to do. And that will definitely happen. We are setting intention now. Yeah. Before uh, the second Solar Return episode, there will be some sort of live in-person meetup or retreat. We promise. Oh, one million percent. Maybe even two. Ocean, maybe Maybe even even three. 29. A million. (laughs) Every day. We're opening a store. We're not opening a store. No, we're not opening a store. Uh, As always, thank you to our neighbor, Carl. Yes. For a year's worth of spiritual gaze. It's amazing you're not sick of us already. I know. We are truly grateful. So thank you. Also, a big thank you to Justin Simeon for our interstitial musics. Yeah. And and his wonderful spirit Yeah, and his wonderful spirit (laughs) Of course, you can always find us at The Spiritual Gaze on Instagram or Spiritual Gaze on Twitter. You can also find us on Facebook. You can find us at thespiritualgaze at gmail.com. If you're on iTunes, please make sure to uh, rate us and leave us a glowing review. Yeah, it'll be uh, the birthday present you give to The Spiritual Gaze for our our one-year birthday. Yeah, and we're so grateful to those who have already left lovely messages for us. Thank you very much much they do not go unnoticed no they certainly do not honey i'm really really grateful to have this platform with you oh honey i'm really grateful for you for kicking my butt and making sure we stay consistent and making this happen yeah thank you it's very it means the world to me that we do this so thank you so much oh my gosh look at my little cancer moon getting so emotional Look at my Capricorn moon looking at me like, what is he doing? (laughs) All right, my loves, we are signing off. Until next time, this has been your year-long orbit through the The Spiritual Gaze. We love you, Noche. We love you all.